Hello, Lauren Hill here, career coach for creatives. Today, we're going to talk about giving yourself permission to pursue multiple paths. Do you give yourself permission to exist as a multi-passionate, multi-dimensional, creative human being? Do you cringe sometimes thinking about all the creative dreams you have that feel so far away? You see other people pursuing multiple paths, yet somehow you feel you need permission to do it. Maybe you just have too many goals. There are a lot of things that you might want to create in your life and career. And guess what? You are allowed to. In fact, I'm giving you permission right here, right now. Why me? Because I have the tools to help you create whatever you desire. It's all possible. I'll teach you how to create new thoughts to inspire you into action. I'll teach you how to feel safe to show up to your creative practice, to experiment and test things out. I'll teach you how to feel okay with your emotions and how to use them in your art. Because being able to transform difficult feelings into freedom is the dream. I'll show you how to not resist the uncomfortable feelings that come up while walking towards something outside of your comfort zone. I'll teach you how to allow your feelings to be there while simultaneously creating new ones that let you embody your most authentic human self. I'll teach you how to allow yourself to be whatever you need to be in this moment while also having compassion and strength. I'll teach you how to be decisive and enjoy an experimentation letting go of the results, and focusing on the present so you can express any part of you that needs to be released. Are you ready to feel fulfillment with the work that you do? Are you ready to align with your purpose and make money doing work that lights you up inside? Are you ready to accept all the parts of yourself, the ugly, dark, desperate, and the gorgeous shimmering and light? Send me a message and let's get the party started. I can send you more information about my three-month private career coaching program where you get full access to me one-on-one in a supportive space to get you out of that stuckness and into clarity, confidence, and direction so that you can make money doing work you love and find that inner peace and fulfillment. You can email me directly at Lauren at curatedsplash.com. That's L-A-U-R-Y-N at C-U-R-A-T-E-D-S-P-L-A-S-H dot com to learn more. Talk soon. If they don't understand it, then something I've done hasn't hit. Maybe they've misunderstood it so badly that what they've said has become irrelevant. But the point is that what I was trying to do, I haven't been able to do. So how can I take that away with me and think about shifting something ever so slightly sometimes it's a really small change just to make sure that what you wanted to present and what you're presenting are the same thing this is art is a podcast for artists where we brainstorm the future of the art world and the creative industries So what did your online residency program look like? Well, it was the second or third week of 
the pandemic, the lockdown, the quarantine, however you want to call it. And it was in the very beginning, two meetings a day online with six artists and me. And we discussed what we would do that day. And then we would go away and do it, check in a few times on WhatsApp and then have another kind of call at the end of the day and say, oh, it went well, it went badly. We all shared photos of our home studios that we'd built. And that was it. That's how it began. And I did that two or three groups a week for about 10 weeks and completely frazzled my brain, but also had the best time. It was really fun and really tiring and just a really good way to try and make sense of what was happening because it was like a sanctuary, I suppose, an online sanctuary from all that. And then it evolved. So later the groups were a bit more curated and there was a theme and we did residencies that lasted a longer time and people made group work together. So you can really bend it around and play with it and as an idea and it it works really well. I think we'll probably always do them, even though the pandemic's not really impacting us in the same way anymore. And what do you think was the most common issue that creatives were facing? Was it seeking accountability for getting work done? Was it receiving feedback in form of like critique? Or was it just moral support? Or as this kind of community leader role and being a creative yourself, I'm sure you've seen so many of the same issues coming up. And that's really been a recurring theme on the, on the podcast with so many different creatives really coming up against the same issues. And because of the impetus not to share and having self-doubt and fear, we turn inward. But I was wondering, yeah, from your experience, what have been kind of the common sticking points that you've been able to address? I think that discussion of a work in progress with people who you can trust in an environment where somebody is giving you the time was really important. Different people came different for different reasons. And I think that you summarized them really well in what you said, this idea that some people just needed some accountability. Others wanted the time carved out for them. Other people needed to share. So most people actually needed a little bit of all of it. And I think they needed it anyway, outside of the pandemic, but didn't realize until maybe we all thought, hey, why don't we do something online? Because, you know, we can't go anywhere. And I think it was also really interesting to see when somebody came along who didn't really appreciate any of those things and how much that could affect a group dynamic when a person was thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that and then... I'll add it to my answer CV and then maybe next time blah, blah, blah. And I actually didn't care about engaging. It was so obvious that they were not fit. And those people are out there. So, yeah, but they were very visible in that setting. So it was interesting. It's really fascinating to see. And I think now because of the impact of COVID and the agility that creatives have developed over the pandemic to start sharing online has created a little bit of a ripple effect that people are starting to do more of it, maybe whether that's just with friends or in private settings. But what would your advice be to someone who's looking to set up a small group, maybe not with the same amount of commitment that your residency program had, but just Maybe if it was just a group of artists who were looking to kind of provide that for each other, because my experience was that we had that so intensely at art school. Mm -hmm. And I graduated during the pandemic. So, of course, 
that was not an option. But whether or not you graduate during the pandemic or not, when you leave, you leave that kind of captive audience of people who are there to listen and support your work and give honest critique. And I know that for so many creatives, myself included, it's been very hard to bring that back. And I think once you're used to this very formal setting of maybe traditional uni or art school or whatever, you you try to mimic that and then that doesn't work out properly because it's kind of hard to imitate and maybe it's not the right thing to do. But what would you recommend as a starting point for people who are trying to create a little bit more of a community around work in progress and sharing? Well, I just think it's a great idea. I think that I love that you asked because I feel like everybody can benefit from it a little bit, even if it's not a long-term project. But I think keep a group small, decide in advance when you'll meet and keep it regular. So pick a time of the week and stick to it. It's really important. I would say share the leadership. So from week to week or day to day, however often you meet, have a kind of uh, rolling leadership. So there's a clear idea of what each per- a person has to do to lead and you take it in turns because people leave and someone always ends up being having to be the boss and then that's another responsibility that somebody doesn't want and actually it can sour the process a little bit and in terms of actually engaging with each other the best thing to do is ask questions so rather than giving your critique ask questions about the work instead and I think that from there you grow a relationship which in the end will have its own natural flow and rhythm and you won't need to think about it as hard. But yeah, I think those three things, keep it small, rotate the leadership and and start by asking questions are the three things that I would say are the most important to get started. How does that sound? That sounds great. That sounds <laughs> better than any of the cranks that I've been in. And do you have any tips on maybe things not to do? Of course, just as we mentioned at the beginning, dealing with negative feedback and rejection is very hard. And for a lot of traditional art school environments, that's a huge part of critique. And so you always are kind of coming in with your armor on. And I think sometimes when you're so poised for negative feedback, you don't really get to enjoy the process of people actually engaging with your work and and being genuinely interested. And so that's why I love that third tip of asking questions because curiosity is just, it's so powerful and disarming as well. Yeah. Imagining somebody coming into a room and saying, I don't like that color that you've chosen versus why did you choose that color is a really impactful emotional response is like super different to me that kind of questioning rather than telling but I think in terms of feedback and negative feedback it actually is on us to learn how to take negative feedback I think that the world that we have chosen to live in is full will always be full of somebody who wants to tell you that what you've done isn't okay usually that person is probably doing very little just I think for us as people who are on the receiving end understanding that every single piece of feedback that you receive comes from a whole lifetime of whatever that person has lived to bring them up to this moment so don't try and understand it just try and think this is the work I'm trying to make this is what that person is seeing what is the gap and what do I have to do to to bridge that gap? Because if they don't understand it, then something I've done hasn't hit. 
maybe they've misunderstood it so badly that what they've said has become irrelevant. But the point is that what I was trying to do, I haven't been able to do. So how can I take that away with me and think about shifting something ever so slightly? Sometimes it's a really small change just to make sure that what you wanted to present and what you're presenting are the same thing. Not everyone's going to like what you do, right? So, and that's fine. In fact, if some people don't like it, then that's better. Because if everybody likes it, then it's boring. No offense, but <laughs> is that really horrible? No, no. I think it's, it's such a good point, though, around that idea of learning how to communicate. And that communication skills at the end of the day are the basis of everything. And even your art is a part of your communication and something that you're sharing with the world. And so getting a response is natural. And so what would you say if the biggest, the person who's giving the most negative feedback is yourself and you're standing in your own way? I'm sure you've dealt with that kind of scenario many times. I'd love to hear about what kind of feedback or support you would give to someone in that scenario. Yeah, I think that I still find myself in that place all the time. So I've never published any long form work. I've never published a novel, only short stories. And yeah, I feel like the novel is my spiritual home. So I find myself in that place all the time. And I guess when I'm thinking about it for somebody else and I'm trying to reflect that my own, you try and be the mirror for your own feedback. When you feel like you can give that feedback to somebody else, why not give it to yourself? Is that what else am I going to do? I'm not going to stop. So I just have to pull my boots on, get ready and go. I, I don't know. It's, that's this is a really good question. It's a difficult one to phrase. It's like a feeling I have. I suppose it's like, mm, what is it like? I don't know if I know. No, it's really hard. I think a good example is with regards to other people. Sometimes mm. something I, I tend to do often is anticipate other people's reactions and I anticipate them to be really bad. Mm. So I share something that I, I personally am not maybe 100% confident about. And then because I'm unconfident about it, I have like this huge dark cloud of negativity around this whole work. And then I share it with somebody else and I'm just projecting that they're going to think it's trash. And then they respond in a positive way and it's like huge shock. And so I've just completely read into this situation and my own bias and not give it any room to recognize that actually the situation is quite neutral and given space for that other person to respond. Yeah. And often I think that it doesn't even, you don't need to have that other person there. You are already creating that like negative energy cloud. And if there's nobody there to kind of wave it away, then you're just going to live with that hanging over you instead of recognizing that that's like a figment of your imagination and that you've created that experience for yourself. Mm -hmm. But you can also create the positive experience for yourself too, of thinking that this this work maybe isn't perfect, but it's an, a work in progress and it's, it's looking bright. And I think that's a very powerful realization that very few of us tend to live in. So much of our feelings are just constructed yeah. experiences that are not uh, permanent states. Yeah, that's true. It, think of it as often I think people are really, really anxious about how a work will be received because they are imagining it's the last work that they're going to make. They can't see that it's just one step into whatever they will make next. And so they've tied their whole 
worth as a creative person to this one piece because that is the last thing that they made and they think this should be the sum of everything I've made so far so therefore it should be the best actually what is the best and what's the worst and what do these things even mean because they're really tied to the person who made them and not the person who's viewing yeah it's interesting I also getting my thoughts together as you were so astutely describing what I was trying to describe was that our job I suppose is to keep making things and we sometimes conflate that with making good things or making worthwhile things. Actually, I'm going to be doing this until I drop dead. So nothing, like there's no way that everything that I make is going to be good. So I'm going to have to make some bad stuff. So I'm just going to have to get on with it. Yeah, that's really well said. And so as we're here at this beautiful place, this beautiful residency, what are your kind of hopes and visions for the future of Sand and Love? Are you hoping to continue on this path or do you have different plans? Well, at the moment, I think we will continue as we are because in this kind of post-pandemic moment, I feel like we're still finding our feet a little bit since since the quarantine. So this summer, we will invite residents to do partially funded residencies again. And then, yeah, just keep inviting and having people coming through and trying to listen and talk and yeah just generally have a good old time and hopefully good things will come cool and pursuing this hybrid approach still of doing like some things in person and some things online yeah i think so actually i think one thing that we haven't done before but i really like the idea of is hosting a residency which takes place the same people but partly online so leading up to a visit so we begin with everybody at home and then we culminate in a coming together. Because if you do it that way, you don't need to come for such a long time. And it opens things out to different type of people. That's really interesting too. In terms of going back to the creative process and thinking about maybe individuals who don't have access to space in their home environments, getting to really plan out things and then have the opportunity to maybe build them or have space and time to work on them physically. Yeah. So much thought goes into making. Yeah. And it seems really like random and impromptu and it's really so much time in your head. Yeah. So I think that sounds like a really interesting and successful model in terms of giving people the chance to have both. I hope so. I hope so. So Odette, I wanted to ask you because the theme of this show is really around brainstorming the future of the art world and the creative industries. And I always love asking this question around what are you excited about that's happening in the creative world? And is there something you're hoping to see more of? Are there things you're hoping to see less of? What What are your thoughts on our future right now? First of all, I love this question and I love that you ask it in your show. I really enjoy hearing. I really enjoy your show. But I also love this question. One thing that I have heard people talking about and which I really enjoy is the viewer being either a participant or an audience for the whole art process. So from the conception to the actual fabrication of something, either in terms of community arts projects or bringing in people who aren't artists into the process or even just documenting in a way that means that every single part of the process becomes part of the work. I think social media has pushed this forward but I also think that the way that we 
or relating to objects now has changed the way that we see the process of making the objects. Standing alone in a gallery with an object doesn't really have the same pull as maybe it did when we didn't feel like there are so many objects. That's not to say that I don't value objects. Actually, I I love them and I still love physical artworks and I'm not ready to let them go in any way. But I do like the idea that we are lifting a curtain on the process and letting people come in and enjoy that as much as they enjoy the final work. And even take part, because I, I feel like part of the reason that we make art is to try and understand what we're here for and what it means to be people. And just to kind of bring people in and say, you're also here. I made this so that you could enjoy it, but partly because you're here. If you weren't here, then I wouldn't have made it. And I think that's really a cool idea. Where can people learn more about you and your work and your writing? And where can people learn more about the Selden Nord residency program? First of all, I would send people to the Selden Nord website, which is C-E-L-D-E-L-N-O-R-D.com. And there you can find out about the building and the programs that we run. And you can read interviews with artists that have been here or not been here physically, but virtually also. And you can sign up to our newsletter to find out about open calls and opportunities. And yeah, please do that. That would be great. And if you wanted to find out more about my writing, you can usually, you can find a link to me from there. Thank you for listening to Art Is, a podcast for artists. Please leave Art Is, a podcast for artists, a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find us. Also, I would love it if you took a moment to reflect on who in your life might also benefit from listening to this podcast. When you do, please share Art Is, a podcast for artists with them, so we can continue to grow the show organically and brainstorm the future of the art world together. You can also support the work I do by subscribing wherever you listen and by donating to the podcast. The link to do so is in the episode description. Okay, that's it for now. Thanks so much, and see you next Wednesday.